And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And welcome in on this Saturday morning, April the 14th. I hope you all survived uh, April 13th better than Chris Tillman and the Baltimore Orioles as they went down in flames last night, 7-3 to to the Boston Red Sox. The offense continues to be just a tad above woeful. Um, the good news is that the starting pitching, except for Chris Tillman and Mike Wright, has been Pretty good for the most part. With Dylan Bundy, it's been very good. With Andrew Kashner, it's been close to very good. Kevin Gosman has been good in two or three starts. Not great in any of his three starts. But uh, today, the arrival of Alex Cobb will be um, very welcome to this starting rotation because, let's face it, you have normally five people in your starting rotation. You need to have four of them performing well. Last year, the Orioles had, for the first half of the season, they had one performing well, Dylan Bundy. So despite all the problems they've got on the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, because I think they're a much sloppier team than they've been at any time in Buck Showalter's tenure here, the good news is that starting today, and don't count today actually in it, because Alex Cobb is being rushed back to the big leagues. I still think I would have rather he started at the tail end of next week's homestand um, against Cleveland, the four-game series against Cleveland. I would think another two outings in the minor leagues would have been a big help to him, uh, but they're doing it their way, and uh, that's that's um, that's the way the Orioles are going to do it. All right? Anyway, we will be here for the uh, next couple hours. Stand the fan. Brittany Everett is in the house. And, uh, Brittany, uh, while I try and figure out how to get this, um, my video up again, because hold on, let's see if it comes up this time, because it's very perplexing. There it is. Okay, gotcha. Now I got to like it. I got to like it. Okay, I'm trying to like it. There we go. And now I'm trying to share it. With the public. Just like everybody should be doing. Yes. Like and share. Yes. Okay. That's what we're trying to do. All right. I think I shared it. I don't know if I did or not. Anyway, how are you today? I'm doing all right. All right. Uh, Chris Tillman, uh, not so good last night. No, not at all. And question for you. So if he didn't get the start, uh, Red Sox get four runs in the first, but they only get three runs the rest of the ball game. We got three runs total. Do you think we could have pulled out the win? Well, we'll we'll never know that for sure, but we know one thing, that with Chris Tillman, he has not won now in 21 starts. His one win last year when he finished 1-7 came very early in the season. It may have even come in his first start last year when he was battling back from some problems, um, shoulder problems then. Here, here is the, the reality. 
Going into last night's game, so this does not include last night's game, since, and, and I got into some Twitter arguments about this last night, since June 21st, 2016, okay, Chris Tillman has thrown 147 innings since then. He's given up 191 hits, 117 earned runs, walked 77, struck out 68, and given up 30 home runs. 30 home runs in 147 innings. That's on a pace for roughly, if he pitches 200 innings, you're looking at about 45 to 50 home runs, Chris Tillman. During that time, he is, as I said, 3-13, and 13, dating back to after July 21st, 2016, and there's a reason I'm using that date, and I'll get to it in a second. Since that point in time, his earned run average, not including last night where it went up, trust me, 7.16 earned run average. That's not good. No, that's not, not good. Not at all. That's in the <laughs> bottom one percentile of all major league pitchers, I guarantee you. I haven't looked at that, but I know it can't be much better than that. His whip which is walks, hits, divided by innings pitched, is 1.82. At his worst last year, Kevin Gaussman was like 1.65. This is now, through parts of three seasons, Chris Tillman has been absolutely awful. Now, having said that, I'm a big Chris Tillman fan. I am not so much, and I got into some heated discussions on Twitter last night with this, with some folks from Oriole Hangout who said, boy, we're not running a charity here. Um, They never should have given him a $3 million contract, an invite to spring training with a make good, uh, maybe there at the end. Uh, But the Orioles chose to go about it in a different direction. There was a little bit of competition at the end for Chris Tillman. I think Detroit was interested in him, and I think the Twins may have been interested in him. Uh, But the Orioles chose to, in my opinion, do the right thing here by rewarding a loyal guy. Um, And I know Chris has made a lot of money pitching for the Baltimore Orioles. He's probably made about $25 million dollars. Uh, prior to this year. But, you know, Chris had given them five and a half good years. And let's not forget, it's not like he went out and was partying and fell down steps and hurt his shoulder. He hurt his shoulder performing for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, They elected to go about it that way. I don't have a problem with the Orioles, and I'm wondering what your opinions are. And you can join us on uh, Facebook and chime in here. Uh, But I'm wondering what the deal is with why they signed him. I know when they signed him, they had just signed Cashner a few days before. They wouldn't sign Cobb for about another two and a half to three weeks. But why they had the entire winter to get a Jamie Garcia, an R.A. Dickey, somebody a lot less expensive than Alex Cobb or you Darvish or Jake Arrieta, somebody that could have been Mike Fires, um, who I'm not that upset we don't have him. The point is the Orioles have Chris Tillman now still as their fifth starter with Mike Wright. And remember a guy named Nestor Cortez? 
Remember him? Yeah. The guy who gave up Grand Slam home runs in two appearances this year. First two home runs he gives up in the majors, both Grand Slams. I maintain that's probably a record. Yeah, it doesn't get worse than that. But they don't make any attempt to get a fifth starter with Tillman being the insurance policy if he's real good in spring training. What's the worst that happens if Chris Tillman is real good in spring training and is real good now? The Orioles have six starting pitchers. Maybe then R.A. Dickey goes to the bullpen or something like that, or Jamie Garcia, or, um, you know, there are tons of guys out there that would have been additions that were better than Mike Wright, better than Nestor Cortez, who's already been returned to the New York Yankees. But the Orioles, again, don't fall back with an insurance plan, and now they've got four decent starters the fifth is a total crapshoot right now. Just to give you some perspective, the Angels, I just heard this on the way in. Last night, they pitched Andrew Heaney was their starting pitcher. They ended up winning the game 5-4 to four over the Royals to run their record to the American League West leader 11-3, 12-3 over Houston at 10-4 right now. The Angels, and we are just what? Three weeks into the season now, March 29th. To Monday. We're just two, two weeks, weeks into the yeah. season. I'm sorry, two weeks into the season. Take a guess how many starters the Angels have used so far, starting pitchers. And just to give you some perspective, the Orioles have used six, including Mike Wright, Tillman. Well, today it'll be six. Cobb will be the sixth starter. Guess how many the Angels have used in their 15 games? Eight. Nine. Nine. They have used Garrett Richards, Tyler Skaggs, Shohei Otani, Matt Shoemaker on the disabled list, a rookie named uh, J.C. Ramirez on the disabled list, and with Tommy John surgery, Parker Bridwell, former Oriole who came up, was awful. They sent him back down. Then a guy named Jaime Berea is six, tropi- uh, seven, Tro- Nick, um, uh, Nick Tropiano is eight and Andrew Heaney is nine. The Orioles have used five to date and will use their six today. And if they need a seven, God knows who that will be. Yeah, Orioles don't have anything back, like you said, for insurance. And that's a big thing, especially later on in the season when people get injured. Yep. Well, they invariably get injured. They invariably wear and tear and get tired. Um, you know, and now we're left with the decision of what to do with Chris Tillman. I, there, now finally, this is my third attempt at sharing. I finally was able to share this thing. Uh, okay, anyway, if you're listening in, pressboxonline.com slash radio, you already know that. But if you want to watch Facebook Live, go to facebook.com slash pressboxsports. All right, here's what we've got for you on the show. In just about five minutes, we're going to be joined by esteemed baseball writer Jim Henneman. He joins us at 1020. Boy, was he upset with me last week. He pulled off the side of the road to wait for a call from me, and I gave Brittany his home number, and he was in upstate New York. So, uh, my bad, okay? Yeah, you messed my up, bad. Stan. I messed up big time there. Craig Heiss joins us around 1040. And then Steve Ginsburg, who penned the cover story, The Sage Sophomore. Uh, he's written a couple stories. He wrote the story on Ken Rosenthal last year 
Uh, he'll join us about 11.05. Bill Latson, our friend from MLB.com, has written or has a podcast up now with Adam Jones. Uh, and talking to Adam Jones about a myriad of things. We'll talk to Bill Latson about that, and then we'll wind up the show with Mr. Andy Dolich. He's going to join us at 11.36, 11.37, and go the rest of the way. Uh, all right. Uh, quick scan through the major leagues right now. Boston is off and running. They have a two-and-a-half game lead over Toronto. They have a four-and-a-half game lead over the Yankees. They have a six-and-a-half game lead over the Orioles in Tampa. Uh, they're three and ten, and they are eight games behind the Red Sox right now. In the American League Central, Minnesota Twins, seven and four. They lead Cleveland, who's eight and six, by game and a half right now. Excuse me, by one game. One game. The White Sox, Detroit, and Kansas City between them, okay, are. 11 and 26. White Sox 4 and 8, Detroit 4 and 9, Kansas City 3 and 9. By the way, that's a good thing for you fantasy players to know if you're thinking of picking up a Minnesota starting pitcher or a Cleveland starting pitcher because those guys are going to face those three horrible teams 19 times this year, 18 or 19 times. Out in the American League West, the Angels surprising everybody, they're 12 and 3 in first place by a game and a half over the Houston Astros who are 10 and 4, Seattle 7 and 4, Oakland 5 and 9, Texas 4 and 11. So clearly the worst six teams in the American League are Tampa, the White Sox, Detroit, Kansas City, Oakland and Texas. The Orioles I feel are in that next group uh, maybe with Seattle and the Orioles, and uh, maybe Toronto in that group of three. And then you have Cleveland, New York, Boston, L.A., and Houston as the best five teams in the American League. National League, the Mets, they've got the best record in baseball by half a game over the Red Sox. They're 11-1 and one so far. 8-5 and five, Atlanta, Philly. They've recovered from that terrible uh, managerial debut by, um, by, what's his name, Gabe Kapler. They're seven and five. The Nationals are five. They're six and a half games behind the Mets already. They're six and eight. Miami is four and nine. They're in a different universe. Pittsburgh surprising everyone with a nine and four start. They lead the uh, National League Central. St. Louis and Milwaukee both at seven and seven. The Cubs at six and seven. They're not getting great pitching. The Cubs. They're six and seven. Cincinnati two and eleven. Probably the worst team in baseball, all seriousness. Uh, and Arizona, often winging. They're 10 and 3. Colorado, 8 and 7. San Francisco, 6 and 7. The Dodgers, just 4 and 8 in 12 games. San Diego, 5 and 10. So there you have your uh, division races all throughout baseball. All right. Uh, as we promised you today, and we made every attempt, we short-circuited the chance for me to do something wrong. Jim Henneman joins us now. Jim, a writer with PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com, also official scorer for the Baltimore Orioles, actually technically Major League Baseball. Jim Henneman joins us. Jim, how are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Jim, thanks for coming on again, and apologies again about last week. No um, 
let's let's jump into this before I had you on. I want to talk about the three pieces, the three main pieces you wrote this spring. I thought they were some of the the best sports writing I've read in a long, long time. We'll get to that in a minute. If you're the Baltimore Orioles now, what do you do with Chris Tillman, Jim? What do I do with Chris Tillman? Well, I, you know, I'm Stan. I'm not really ready to to jump into that. I, you know, I, you know, obviously they're going to have to do something, but uh, yeah. that's, uh, you know, I'm just not close enough to that situation to to realize where this. Uh, let me. There are options. That they don't have. You know, there's not a whole lot of options yeah. unless they can find a DL spot for him. So. Let Let me ask you. Let me attack it at a different way. You've been around longer than I have, and I've been around a long time. Have you ever seen someone who has fallen this far? come back and still be at least a serviceable major league pitcher, Jim? I can't honestly say that I have, but yeah, it's, uh, it's probably but, happened, but you know, I'm, I mean, I, you know, perhaps, but, uh, I mean, not, not here. I mean, I yeah. don't, I don't remember that happening here, um, too often. All right, let's let's move to a brighter thing. They get Alex Cobb today, and whether he's ready or not, he's going to get the start today. Um, aside from Chris and Mike Wright, the good news here is so far they've uh, they've got three decent starting pitchers right now, which is well, something. And, and I'm, I'm going to be I'm maybe the only guy in the world that's still not ready to throw Mike Wright under the bus. So yep. uh, I'm not I'm not dismissing that. I I will say this that. His game, uh, his last start, you know, I, it's it's your your cup's half empty or it's half full. I saw a guy that made a lot of good pitches. He just couldn't make good pitches when he had to, to put a hitter away, and that's a, you know, that that's a big thing. The, the big difference is he was a guy that was pitching uh, with to one and two counts, and as opposed to Chris, Chris is pitching to three and one counts. And yep. So, uh, you know. He, you know, I still, you know, I, I'm not giving up on that arm. His arm is still good enough to, I'm not saying he's necessarily going to be a starter, but uh, well, that's I, think what, he, I, I think he can be a serviceable pitcher. I, I, I agree with you there. Tell me how you see the difference between him and Castro if you are planning maybe after the next start that Chris gets, if he does take it. Um, which would you prefer to see in the rotation right now between Castro and Wright? Uh, th- that's a hard question for me to answer. I, I uh, you know, right now, uh, I probably, I probably would, uh, I probably would say that, you know, I would run right back out there one okay. more time. Okay. Uh, if, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, Castro has, uh, has certainly got the same kind of possibilities. I mean, you know, the, the I mean, the other kid, the kid pitched again last night, Arujo, uh, but I don't think he's, even geared to be a starter. No, I, mean, I don't either. He's been he's been all uh, relief pitcher uh, along the way too. It's you know that's a it, it that that's a hard uh, it's a hard mix. I mean it's it's really kind of foolish for me to sit here and think that I know more about that than the guys that are making those decisions. I mean you know we can sit here and criticize the uh, criticize or second guess the the end results, but yep. you know to sit here and think that I've got more information or that I know more than they do is kind of it's going to be kind of stupid. All right. Well, Jim, I I give you a lot more credit than that, but I, I understand. Um, let's let's move to the positivity here. If Cobb comes in and is truly ready, 
The Orioles never had four starters going in sync last year at all. In fact, the most they ever really had was two when Bundy and Gosman were both pitching well. Uh, that's a real positive thing for this club. No, listen, their pitching has been fine. I mean, yeah. you know, they're, they, you know, if you know, you put a couple runs on the board and and and, and get a lead, uh, you know, you can you can win. You know, I mean, what's their record? Five and five and nine. Right. Five and nine. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, I mean, how difficult would it be to turn two of those games around? Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's. You know, when we looked at this schedule way back when, so you get through April with five hundred, you're probably in decent shape. Now, having said that, you weren't expecting the, you know Boston to run out and, and threaten to do what uh, what Detroit did back in '84 and maybe run off a thirty-five and five thing and put everybody to sleep before it even starts. So right. I think that's a big concern right now. I think it's almost imperative that they win. You know, they they win a couple of games up there yeah. because uh, otherwise they're gonna, you know, they they're gonna take charge. And uh, you know, I mean, the Yankees. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, they they, they conceded too much to the Yankees a little bit too soon. Uh, their pitch was not not good enough to be for them to be considered that strong. So, um, I think I, I'd be a little wary. For the Red Sox at this point. We're talking with Jim Henneman, writer for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. And um, we will uh, continue our chat right now with Jim. Jim, um, the offense, and this is again before we go into talking about some of your great writing from this spring. Uh, did you see this coming at all, the, the problems they're having collectively? I, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, well, I mean, you, you certainly saw enough hints of it. I mean, there, it wasn't like it wasn't like they had a great offensive year last year either. Yep. I mean, a lot of that stuff kind of goes hand in glove with the you know with pitching. Sometimes I mean, they fell behind by four, five, six runs so many times that last year that I mean, sometimes I can take an offense a little bit out of sync too. But having said that, you know, there was there were some indications last year that there that there were. You know, there's a lot of things. There's no real true leadoff hitter, which is, I mean, that's look, that's that that's we're not, this is not the first team that ever had that problem. But uh, you, you know, there there are some things there with uh, with certain guys, yeah, that uh, you you could possibly see that they might struggle a little bit. And and the way it is right now, I mean, actually, the the Alvarez signing the offseason looks like one of the better moves. I yeah. Mean, uh, I would agree. Uh, he's given him a decent left-handed bat. I mean, I don't know. I look at a, I look at a guy like Curtis Granderson the other day, and I'm like thinking, well, you know, if, if we were really looking for a left-handed hitter, why wasn't he on our radar? But uh, I mean, that's that's a pure second guess. Yep. But you know, speed, speed, a little bit of power to left-handed hitter. Same kind of hitter as as we already had, which is a which is a problem because he's also a strikeout guy. But. Um, you know, you Toronto. Know, we, we just have a lot of guys that fall into the same, yeah, into the same thing, and that's just, you know, that's kind of the roll of the dice a little bit. I mean, I, I think there's some there's some evidence that that's going to change down the road because they do have some guys, some decent uh, hitting prospects in the system. It looks like, so hopefully those kind of, you know, you won't get you won't get saddled with that. And and part of it is that's the nature of the game. Is I like, it's yeah. not the only team that's a swing and miss. Uh, Swing, miss, or hit a home run kind of a team. I mean, the Yankees are definitely going to be like that. I mean, there's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind about that. They'll probably strike out a lot more than the Orioles will. Uh, two, two quickies, and then we'll get into talking about the writing. Um, 
so far, what do you see that you like about Beckham at third, Machado at short, and is there anything you don't like about it? I, I mean, I never really had a whole lot of worry about Beckham at third because I, I just felt like the third is a is a reactionary position, and you know, you either catch it or you don't catch it. Uh, uh, his arm is his arm is a. Uh, is is strong enough. It's not Manny's arm, but uh, right. he probably won't be able to play. I mean, one of the things that made Manny so great at third base was his arm is so good that he could play so deep, and uh, and, to, and and which which greatly enhances the his range. Uh, difference wise, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really, uh, I don't think that's been a factor. Uh, Manny's played played well. I mean, I don't think he, you know, I, for whatever reason, he's the the, uh, there's more action at shortstop. It's not a spectacular uh, position in a lot of ways as, yeah. uh, as third base is. I mean, uh, the play the other day was, you know, I mean that was a five star play. But how many of those are you going to get in the course of the in the course of the game? Uh, so, what about the catcher? Uh, not Joseph. He's off to a terrible start. But uh, yeah. what do you see with Francisco so yeah, far? I think he's going to be a good hitter. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I'm, you know, I don't think that's. I mean, everybody thinks the same thing about him. They always, I mean. His defense has always been questioned a little bit. Uh, hey, look, I'm a defense guy too. But the bottom line is, a really good catcher throw out one out of three guys. So I'm, I'm, you know, if if he if he, if he can hit, he's gonna play. All yeah, right. You know, there's no question in my mind about that. Jim, you went you went down to Sarasota, which you've done every year since they've been uh, the Orioles have been there, and you've been at all told what is it 45 spring trainings? Yeah, in, in one in one. One way, shape, or form, or another. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they've been in various in various roles. Some, particularly as a spectator, uh, so, but uh, uh, you know, and, and even now, I mean, it's uh, it's as much. Uh, you know, I mean, I get to do a little bit of writing uh, when I'm down there, but it's as much uh, it's as much just for my own satisfaction to keeping my hand involved as it is anything else. And, well, you seem this year when you went down to to sort of look at some big picture ideas. I mean, your your first piece, you you took the train, the auto train down, which you hadn't done, I don't think, before, and right. you envisioned yourself back in the 40s. You know, uh, that's how baseball traveled. Was right. there something going on with you uh, that you were in a much more reflective mood this spring? Um, I, you know, I don't think so. I think that was my just, that was my little fantasy, uh, my little fantasy trip. I had heard so much from so many guys. Uh, I mean, when the Orioles first came here, I mean, that was the mode of travel was, was a train and it pretty much stayed that way, uh, until the late fifties, early sixties, I guess. I know when, when Paul Richards was here, he hated to fly. So he, he was on the train as much as possible. And, uh, in fact, I think one time they actually took a boat from Cleveland to Detroit or, or the other way around. Um, but, yeah, my thing was, and, you know, it's funny, Ernie, of course, he was, you know, the former Colt and, and Giant uh, sure. GM, who's a, who's a great, great baseball fan. And uh, he told me one time he, he, he loved to go to spring training. He loved to take the auto train. And I, told, and I told him that I had always looked at it, but I, I never saw where I'd, I could simply save money doing it. So mm-hmm. that, that was always a... That was always in it. For some reason, it spurred me to look into it a lot earlier than I ever had before. And when I realized that it was, uh, it was a little bit of, you know, I could save some money and uh, doing it that way. I decided, well, you know, I'll, I'll do this and uh, in, in my own little way, uh, you know, fantasize about how things were back in the day when uh, when teams travel by train. And you heard stories. I mean, the stories are legendary. Some of them. I mean, about. 
I mean, from a writing standpoint, because the writers traveled, I mean, I guess I often thought about, I got a note from Jim Evans, the, the old umpire, and he, he said umpires told him a lot of the same same stories that I had heard from, from writers. But I often wondered, that. well, that had to be really cool if they had players and managers and coaches and umpires and writers all on the same train, which I think a lot of ways they they didn't do that. They they were able to isolate uh, either trains. It's like when the Orioles came back from New York the other day, they didn't just have a car. They just had their own train. They had just their own small train when they came back. So it probably was a lot of that. But, but there were stories of, of guys doing writing on the train. It was a train made stops, like, say, between New York and Chicago or New York and St. Louis. Some of the, the Western Union people actually come and pick up their copy and right. send it back to the newspaper. So, so yeah, for me that was that, that was kind of a uh, kind of a, a thinking back to what it, what it might have been like, uh, you know, back in the day. And of course, when I came back on the auto train, I told that Dan Duquette had gone down with his wife and, and young son right the day before I had, and and he said that he said his, his little boy likes the train, and then he told me the story about Bill Giles, the former Phillies owner, telling him that uh, his dad, who was the uh, the Cincinnati Reds owner, and then later the National League president, used to take him to spring training on the train all the time. So they, they, those were, were, you know, little tidbits. But I told Dan, I said, the difference is, I said, it was hard for me to think about, okay, this is what it was like back in the day when I was coming home because it was the last day of spring training, and I have a laptop, and I'm sitting in the lounge car, and there's six hours of exhibition games, and I can watch on my laptop. So that kind of... That was blows the hell out of the wind about what it was like back in the day. So, hey, your uh, your second piece that you wrote was really kind of a comparison piece between you know I think a lot of us up here when uh, February tenth rolls around and it's thirteen degrees or eighteen right. degrees, we get really romantic about uh, our sports writers who are got six weeks coming up in Florida. But you made the point that that with social media the way it is, this is a much tougher job than it was when you were a beat writer in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. I mean, and, and even even when I first started doing it, I mean, it, it was tougher than it was tougher than I perceived that it would be. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, you know, the bottom line was in those days, as I point out a lot of times, we had, we had deadlines, but when the deadline came and went, you were done for the next, you know, you were finished for the next 24 hours. Right. You know, in today's world, you know, your next deadline was five minutes ago. Right. And uh, it's just, uh, it's a whole different atmosphere. And it was never, uh, the, you know, the old idea of, of lolling around the pool or being at the beach. And uh, I actually was, I actually remember... In the later years, when I had one day off, I used to we used to arrange some cookouts on the on the beach in the in the Fort Miami Fort Lauderdale area on the, on a Saturday afternoon. But in all the years that I was that I was in spring training, I can remember going in the water one time and right. I got bit by a jellyfish. So they took care <laughs> of that. Hey uh, Jim, we we um, I know we all respect the job Rich does with Press Box Rock and uh, Steve Molesky, Ed and Cena, Mioli, Brittany. We respect that. Is there something to this, though, that we're all in this generation so busy getting that next bit of information out? Do we really understand and observe the subtleties of the game the way that you or Bob Mazel or John Stedman were able to back then when things were at a different pace? 
I, I would I would agree with you on that. I, you know, that's I mean, I'm not a I'm not a things were better in the old days type of guy because you know things change and things for the most part they do get better. But yeah, I agree. I just think that um, the, the requirements are such that the, there, there's so much going on. I mean, some of the questions that I have about you know when when these guys are in the press box and they're all pretty much doing the same thing. You know, to me, it would seem like okay if if we really got to be this hip on on Twitter, then let one guy concentrate on Twitter and one guy concentrate on the game, one guy concentrate on Facebook or mm-hmm. whatever other yep. things. I mean, it, it you know to me, you know, let one guy just but but the way these things work, everybody has their own following, yep. and everybody's got their own following on all those all those items, and the, and the, the constant is is that. It's almost impossible to keep all that up and keep a scorebook going, keep a notebook going. Uh, you know yeah. that part of it. I, I mean, I find that almost impossible. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, looking back on it now, and that's why. I mean, I have a lot most respect for those guys and the job that they do because it's it, it's it's mentally and physically tiring, and uh, and I think that it's really difficult. Uh, in, in most cases, you know, you're whether whether you're writing 140 or 280 characters at a time, or whether you're writing two or 300 words at a time, it's it's just hard to be constantly doing that from first pitch to the, actually from an hour or two before the first pitch because they get a lot of the pregame stuff out of the way. But it does seem like there's almost a never-ending volume of of, uh, of information, and and I have to admit, for the most part, most of it is useless. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, we, we kind of live in, in an era of feeding me as much useless information as you can, and, 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 uh, and I'll absorb it. But, so, hey, your, your third and final piece uh, from spring training 2018, it accidentally got kind of mischaracterized in our headline. It was Jim Henneman's final spring training reflections or something to that, and I uh, pointed out to our editor that, hey, wait a minute, this is not the final spring training that Jim Henneman's going to, and you made well, that clear to me. Well, any of us, any of us could be on our last one. But, but you, uh, your reflections at the end of this spring training, I thought that was just a beautiful piece of sports writing, Jim. Well, you know, I appreciate that. It's just, um, you know, you know, there there are so many things that you know you think about and you go back, and it, and and it's crazy sometimes. Uh, the things that stick with you the longest and make the, uh, the most indulgable are not necessarily from uh, the top guys. You know, I mean, for instance, like my first spring training, uh, Hank Aaron was getting ready to break Babe Ruth's record, and 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 we played the you know the, those two teams played against each other so many times in that spring that it almost got it almost got to be boring. You know, the, the one thing I remember getting out of that was the, the fact that. That, that Earl Weaver would pick Eddie Matthews' brain about mm-hmm. you know his philosophies in, in, so far as hitting was concerned. Uh, the incident and the, the one thing in, in 75 with Dyer Miller is a story that I've told a million times over, you know, about a guy who, 29-year-old rookie who, you know, was basically perfect in spring training and uh, they couldn't make the team because uh, because the Orioles went home with, went back home with eight, Eight pitchers, pitchers. and never and never added a pitcher until the middle of June. Wow, that's and, uh, that's unbelievable. You know that was uh, the thing, and then there was a uh, what was it? 
the one year where they used. I mean, I I was looked somewhere. I saw somebody used thirteen pitchers in in the first week of the season. I said that's two pitchers more than the Orioles used all year. Yeah. in seventy seven. I think it was. But what, what if I that's, told that's you it's a different time? You know? you know. What if I told you the Angels last night used their ninth starting pitcher of two thousand eighteen already? Yeah, it's yeah. pretty that's, staggering. That, that, well, I mean, to me, I mean that's the old. Uh, you know, I mean, that's the old, I don't know, is, is, is that the subtraction by addition? Yeah. I mean, are they, yep. uh, do they have that many good starting pitchers or do they? No, they've got injuries. Pitch? They've got yeah. three, two yeah. guys on the DL and, right. uh, and one yeah. horrible start by Parker Bridwell. Yeah. Hey, Jim, yeah. uh, I, I got to ask you a curveball question. It's not about baseball, but before we let you go, it's something I've observed and I'm just curious you know, because you've been around through Brooks going into the Hall of Fame, Frank going into the Hall of Fame, Eddie, Earl, Jim Palmer, uh, and in football, you were around when Raymond Berry went in, Lenny Moore. Am I missing something? It, this this year, I don't sense any buzz, and I don't know what that buzz is supposed to be, but I don't sense any real major buzz in this town that Ray Lewis is going into the Hall of Fame. I know that's uh, a curveball question for you. Yeah, I can't. I, I I don't have a feel for that. Yep. Um, you know, I I really don't. I I I think that if if anything, I'm, I'm sure there is a buzz to a degree. Yep. I'm sure part of that is the, is the hangover from last year and all the things that yep. went into it. I, you know, because I, I I mean it, there I know that a lot of people talked about it for years coming up until he was gonna he was gonna be eligible, but. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there's there's definitely a hangover effect. Uh, I think from you know, last year to a hangover effect, yeah. and and as are, you know, all sports to a degree, yeah. and and in in a lot of ways, uh, you know, people that are vying for the entertainment dollar. Yeah. I mean, uh, you what? know, it's um, you listen, know, it's I, not a it's not a big news. I mean, not like I'm, for instance, I mean, and this is really a curveball thing, but I'm looking at, I'm sure that the, I'm sure the Orioles wish that they hadn't decided to give away that Hawaiian shirt on the on the on the weekend when the Angels are going to be right, in town. Right, right. Uh, you know, they got a couple of big promotions going on, and I mean, that right now, I bought I bought some tickets there last week, and uh, and I can tell already that that, that series is going to be... Uh, Monster, yeah. Uh, yeah, Monster that's because, that, you know, there, there's a possibility there they could have three sellouts there, so and that, that doesn't happen very often. So. All right, Jim, keep up the great work, not the good work. <laughs> keep up the great work, and uh, I... I I look forward to seeing you when Cleveland comes to town. I really appreciate the time today. Okay, take care. Have fun, guys. All right. right. There you have it, Jim Henneman. Great baseball writer extraordinaire. Uh, We're going to take our first time out of the day, and I'll kick off that time out by welcoming back for his third straight summer with us, Steve Garland and Big Bats Cafe. Located 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland. It's Ken Island's original sports bar. And again, if you're heading east, down to the eastern shore, and you go over the Bay Bridge, as soon as you go over the bridge, there's an exit that says Stevensville. You get off that exit, come up to the stop sign, make a left, and go down about a 16th or an eighth of a mile. And on the right-hand side, you can't miss Big Bat's. Uh, It's a little piece of baseball heaven and sports heaven. It's got an incredible sports ambiance. Steve Garland built all the furniture in there, um, and he's been in charge of a great sports bar with great burgers, sandwiches, salads, soups. It's all there for you. It's a great place to watch the O's, 
Wizards, Caps, or Nats, whatever your favorite sports team is. Again, I highly recommend, if you're planning a trip to the Eastern Shore, that you call ahead 410-604-1120 to make sure they're going to be open. They're open seven days a week. But just to make sure you know where you're going, the actual address of Big Bats is 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. Again, make that left off the first exit after the Bay Bridge, and you'll thank me eventually when you see me. All right, Big Bats Cafe. When I think about things that have over-delivered in my life, I think about blueberry pie Oreos, I think about the first Kingsman movie, and now I think about hammer and nails in the Owings Mills Metro Center. My first trip to the Ultimate Man Cave Nirvana blew me away. When I got there, I went to the back room. Oh, this is where the magic happens. I got my first ever manicure and pedicure treatment. It was so relaxing. I understand why a lot of guys actually fall asleep back there. The seat was custom crafted for my comfort. I had a flat screen in front of me with noise-canceling headphones so I could watch whatever game I wanted to, and I was even sipping on a nice adult beverage. Then I went out and Tracy hooked me up with a really stylish haircut. She took care of me with the shampoo treatment, the hot steam towel. You can even get the close edge razor shave all at Hammer and Nails Owings Mills. Memberships are available. They make a great gift. On Mondays, you can rent out Hammer and Nails for your corporate event. Trust me when I tell you, this is an experience all guys must have. Hammer and Nails, grooming shop for guys, now open in the Owings Mills Metro Center. Spring into savings on a new car at Jerry's Toyota, Jerry's Chevrolet, and Jerry's Mitsubishi. Save a lot of money at Jerry's with free financing on over 800 new cars and trucks in stock. Jerry's has incredible springtime deals, like monthly payments as low as $129 a month on new Toyota RAV4s, Camrys, and Chevy Malibus and Cruises. Looking for a new SUV with third-row seating? Well, Jerry's has a great selection of models, including Toyota Highlanders, Chevy Traverses, and the Mitsubishi Outlander. If that's too much and you are shopping for a new crossover, Jerry's has great deals on new Toyota CHRs, Chevy Trax, and the all-new Mitsubishi Eclipse. Plus, right now at Jerry's, get huge savings on over 200 pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Do it. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road or Jerry's Chevrolet and Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing and lease payments with approved credit through dealer-designated lenders. Sale ends 4-30-18. Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. KZ, Sari, the NFL Chick, KOO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah. Tennis? Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. 
And welcome back into the batter round. It's Stan the Fan uh, flying solo. Uh, that's because our normal co-host, when I say normal, um, that's not a psychological uh, judgment on our co-host, but our regular co-host, Craig Heist, has uh, some duties today down at Nats Park, but he joins us right now on the batter round. Craig, how are you? I'm good, Stan. How are you? Um, it couldn't be better. Whenever you're not here, I couldn't be better. Brittany, well, there you go. Brit- Brittany and I are saying how much more enjoyable it is in here, you know? That's kinda not like, true. <laughs> kind of like when, like when Bonzatufa left the show, you know? Right, exactly. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. Uh, could stand a few more wins uh, by both teams at this yeah. point, but other than that, we're all right. Well, well, I wanted to get to the Nats because I know you cover them equally with the Orioles, but i got to start off with uh, – the Orioles' starting pitcher, he's been one of my favorite Orioles since we acquired him in that trade for Eric Bedard. I always was uh, of a mindset that this could be a, a really special pitcher, and he may not be as special as Mike Mussina was in any five-year period or Jim Palmer or those guys, but he's always been a hallmark of consistency through July twenty-first, two 2016, and, and here's the numbers since then. And the reason I picked that date, Craig, that was the day he went 14-2. and two. He beat the Yankees up in New York. He pitched seven innings, lowered his earned run average to 3.18. Since that time, Chris Tillman has pitched 147 innings. He's gone 3-13. and 13. He's given up 141 hits, 77 walks, 117 earned runs, and get a load of this, he struck out 68 and walked 77 while giving up 30 home runs. That's all before last night, so needless to say, he's now 3-14. and 14. Your thoughts on, on what we have in, in our hands right now, it's, it's, and I love the guy, but it's a, it's a mess right now. Well, I think what you have, Stan, is a guy who's probably still not healthy, uh, for whatever the reasons, well, you know, obviously the shoulder was, was the issue. Uh, I don't know whether this is a situation where he's healthy again and he's yep. just lost it and yep. he can't find it. Uh, but that would be my first initial thought. It's just that he's it's not right. He's not, he's not right. Yeah. And they got to figure, they got to figure it out. Now, the, the thing with this is how long do you wait before you pull the trigger on something, which means, and what I mean by something is, not having him part of this rotation. Do you throw him in the bullpen? I mean, what do you do? Uh, here's a guy that signed for for one year at a very low price. Right. Three, mil- three million or what have you. So uh, you're three starts into this. I don't think that they're going to pull the plug on him just yet. But with the way the rest of the division is playing, including the team they're playing right now. Right. It, it would be very difficult for me to see them and, and Buck really, you know, hanging with this much longer. Yeah, I, f- I feel the same way, and I'm thinking uh, one more start, and he's they'll have to find a DL slot for him. I, I don't think he's of much. You know, I think I think uh, I know Chris. I mean, I'm not his best buddy or anything. I've had many conversations with him. I like the guy. It's hard to believe he doesn't wake up each day and look in the mirror 
and know what his performance is saying. So the question is, does he want to be a part of the solution? And, I, again, I don't know all the rules, whether he's even got an option left, but it seems to me that if he truly wants to, to continue – uh, and take a shot at getting back to being something like he was, he's got to rework almost everything. He's got to break down his delivery. He might have to find a different arm slot, and that's something I think he'd have to work on in the minor leagues, to be honest with you. Well, I think you're absolutely right from that standpoint, and uh, uh, again, it's it's going to come down to him trying to figure something out, whether it's mm-hmm. his delivery, uh, he, I was on Twitter last night while I was covering this game down here. Right. And the one, the one thing that, uh, I, I read was that, you know, the first fastball he threw was about a half a foot, a foot and a half outside. Uh, and, and it just looked like, you know, he had no command of it, you know, and then I think that's part of his problem right now. He just can't command his pitches anymore. Yeah, and that's an that's an issue going forward when you're trying to figure things out. Yeah, I mean it, that those the the alarming numbers, all of those numbers I gave you from June uh, July twenty first two thousand sixteen are all alarming. But sixty eight strikeouts, seventy seven walks this year, uh, Craig. He struck out three batters and walked eleven. There's nobody that wins at the major league level doing that. No, not at all. And when your when your strikeout to walk ratio is like that, uh, that makes it even more difficult. Yeah. And uh, again, you uh, we saw it last night. Hmm. He gets the run in the first inning to 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 have some something positive going out in the bottom of the first inning, and then he winds up giving four back, yep. uh, including the three run home run by Nunez. This is not a uh, a good thing right now for Chris Tillman or this over this team, and I just don't know what the answer is, Stan. Yeah, um, and you know, you've known me long enough to yeah. know that I'm one of those guys. Well, I'm one of those guys that says, you know, let it, let it play itself out. But I don't know how much longer they can let it play itself out. Yeah, I mean, this is not just one season, a quick start. Uh, anyway, let's move over to the team you're covering today. Um, they're not off to a particularly robust start. They are six and eight, and they are what are they? Six games behind the Mets, but what's surprising? Who, who have won? Who have won nine in a row? Right. By the way, <laughs> but but it's not that surprising that the Mets necessarily or one of those teams jumped out. But and while it's still way early, but Atlanta's eight and five, and the Phillies, despite Gabe Kapler and how he's managed in the very early going, uh, they've righted their ship a little bit. They're seven and five. This is not a cakewalk division for Washington. It's not shaping up that way. Well, not at all. And uh, one of the things that you know we knew coming in was that with some of the acquisitions the Mets made in the off season, as well as how good a young team the Phillies are, and the fact that Atlanta is a is an up and coming team, we kind of had that feeling that was going to be the case. But I still think I still think in the long run, pitching overall will be the difference. And if that happens, then I think you have to, that being said, I think you have to like the Nationals' chances. I mean, you don't want to dig yourself a big-time hole, but by the same token, I still think pitching wins out in the end, and that's where I give the edge to the Nats. Uh, The Nats made an interesting signing the other day, and it just happens to coincide with one of their 
better offensive players who had a great year in 2017. Ryan Zimmerman off to a very slow start, and the Nats signed to a minor league contract. Our old friend Mark Reynolds, great insurance signing. Do you think there are any concerns about Zimmerman? No, not at all, because you have Matt Adams here uh, to back Zimmerman up. Okay. And uh, that, that, so I, I'm thinking at this point, uh, Mark Reynolds is going to be in the minor leagues to get himself ready to be able to be called up here to help. Right. Uh, that, that said, uh, Zim's hit the ball uh, harder lately, and he's had, he's had good at bats, just doesn't have a whole lot to show for it. So, uh, I, you know, we wait and see. He's always been a streaky hitter. He's had hot starts before. He's had cold starts before. This is one of the older starts. So we'll see what happens. But uh, nobody on this team right now, Stan, with the exception of maybe Harper, Rendon, and even Bryce has cooled off a little bit, uh, are really hitting the ball. Michael A. Taylor's off to a terrible start. Uh, Trey Turner's off to a terrible start. He came in last night hitting 200. So uh, it's a matter of just, uh, and right now I'm looking down on the field and I see Daniel Murphy taking uh, batting practice in the cage. What's uh, what's it look of, like? All part of his all yeah. part of his rehab. Uh, is he a month, six weeks away? What do you think? I'm thinking more along the lines of about three weeks, if you know. But we we see him moving around sometimes, taking uh, ground balls earlier this week. Uh, the lateral movement's a little bit difficult right now, but uh, uh, I, I think this is taking a little bit longer than what he had hoped and what the club had hoped. Uh, but but I'm thinking probably more about three weeks from what I'm hearing. We're talking with Craig Heist. Uh, he is with 106.7 The Fan down in Washington, D.C. They've got the Washington Nationals uh, games, and Craig is a reporter for that station. Uh, Craig, what about the uh, – pitching to date i know that max scherzer had a couple you know listen when he has a bad outing it's like a bulletin i mean it's a flash <laughs> a news flash yeah. and he had two so-so performances but he came back in his third start and looked like he like he's normal well he was good his first time out too let's not uh, uh sugarcoat that i mean he was i mean make it make it to be something it's not he was he was really good his first time out then he had he ran into a little bit of difficulty uh, the second start, he gave up a three-run homer uh, on the road in Atlanta, and uh, he only lasted six innings in that game. Uh, but time out, it was, it was a two-hit complete game shutout, ten strikeouts, and uh, you know that snapped at that point in time what was a uh, a five-game losing streak uh, when the Braves came in here after the Nationals had gotten swept by the Mets. And then uh, Steven Strasburg turned around the next night and followed it up with a really, really solid effort. So, uh, like I said, I think pitching is going to rule the day for this club as the season goes on. You just have to hope they stay healthy. And uh, uh, But right now, uh, after, after losing the first two to Colorado, they're 2-6 and six on this homestand currently, which has two more games, and they've lost 8 out of 10. So they've got to figure it out. You mentioned the deficit being six games, Stan. Uh, but the, the bottom line is, you know, you can't build, build yourself or build uh, dig yourself that big a hole because mm-hmm. it takes you longer to get out of it. And uh, we remember what happened back in 84 <laughs> yeah. when, you know, the Orioles win the World Series in 83. 
they come out of the shoot and then, you know, Detroit goes 35 and five to start the season. And before you know it, nobody catches them. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, is that going to happen here? No, I don't really think so. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing for the Mets in my mind has always been health. I think we know what kind of lineup they have if they stay healthy, and but their, their pitchers, and their whether, rotation, whether, yeah. whether it be, yeah, uh, David Wright and that kind of thing. Uh, but you know, from a pitching standpoint, whether it's Syndergaard or Mats or whoever you're talking about, they have to stay healthy. Matt Harvey, uh, DeGrom, and if they do yep. that, if they do that, they're going to be right there. Yep. I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, Craig, there's uh, four that I can count. I'm looking at Boston with a new manager, first-time manager Alex Cora, 11-2. and two. Aaron Boone and the Yankees are 7-7. Seven and seven. Uh, Gabe Kapler, for all the abuse he took about uh, his pitching change selection uh, 10 days ago, his club now is right at itself. They're 7-5, and five. and the Nationals with Dave Martinez are 6-8. and eight. Um I'm not panicking about Dave Martinez as a manager, but I know that Mike Rizzo would have liked for his manager to get off to a little better start than that. Well, I would think so, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, all, uh, hang on a second, Stan, all the way, yeah. And uh, I, I just think that he would have liked to have gotten off to a better start. He's certainly handled it very well. He knows his offense isn't producing at this point. So he's kind of waiting around for that, as we all are. And he's fully of the firm belief that uh, it will eventually get going because there's too many good hitters on this team not to have that happen. That said, they are missing Adam Eaton right now. Mm -hmm. They are missing Trey Turner. I mean, I said they're missing Daniel Murphy right now. Right. So that that that's some void out of the lineup, uh, which all has to be figured out. But I don't think anybody's panicking here. It's a pretty veteran-leading group, and we'll just have to wait and see. Two wins over the weekend here would go a long way to helping the cause before they go to New York uh, for three against the Mets at the beginning of the week. We're talking with Craig Heist, um, uh, normally the co-host here on the bat around. He's down at Nats Park. Uh, who's who's doing the hurling today between Colorado and the Nats? Well, Max Scherzer, uh, you know what? I have to jog my brain i can't think about who's pitching for the rockies right that's, now that's right. uh but i can tell you scherzer goes today for the nats and it'll be strasburg tomorrow so a chance with their two big guns on the mound to maybe win two games before they go on the road hey one quick question about the nats bullpen i haven't noticed whether overall it's played a part in the six and eight start or not but i know that doolittle's doing well and i know matson's doing well but the guy they acquired initially last offseason was Kinsler from the Twins, and then they re-signed him as a free agent. I think he's struggled a bit, hasn't he? He has early on, or he did early on, Stan, but uh, he's thrown two now scoreless innings back-to-back, including a one 2 3 seventh last night with a couple of strikeouts, and he was never really throwing the ball that poorly. Uh, I think it was just a matter of pitching a little bit of bad luck and uh, the fact that he had to, to, to refine some things. But uh, I think the back end of that bullpen is going to be okay. But what you have to remember is you have to have the lead to be able to turn it over to them. They haven't really had the lead many times. So, again, it's, uh, I'm not worried about the pitching so much uh, unless I want to point out Sammy Solis, who 
has a problem after he has a real good inning of coming back for that second inning and maintaining that consistency. That's something he certainly wants to work on and certainly something that hasn't been there uh, for him in the early going. Craig Heist is with us with just a minute or two more with Craig. Uh, one more about the Nationals. You got an old guy that you've covered, and I don't mean old in the literal sense, but uh, Matt Weider's now more graybeard than not. Um, what's his season shaping up? I know the Nationals weren't thrilled with what they got in production. I know they like the player, the person, but the production wasn't there either offensively or defensively last year. What do you see with Matt this year so far? Well, right. Well, he went on the disabled list. He had the uh, oblique injury after he had a really good spring training. He was all raring to go, and then that cropped up. But fortunately for Matt and the team, it was no more than just a 10-day thing. He went down to Potomac and, and caught one night and then uh, was back up here. Uh, he has not started off well. He's like one for one for 11, I believe. Uh, but again, on the DL for those last 10 days, and he just got back, uh, on Thursday this week. So, uh, I, I think that they still believe in him. Certainly the pitching staff does guys like Scherzer guys like Strasburg. Uh, they all rave about how they like throwing to him and how he handles a pitching staff. And right now, if I had to guess, uh, if you asked Mike Rizzo that, that would that he would tell you the same thing, that that's the best part about Matt Wieters right now is the way he handles this uh, star-studded staff. Before we let you go, I got a uh, non-baseball question, Craig. I know you cover uh, the Redskins fairly regularly who are in the NFC East. Your assessment today, forget all the off-the-field or the histrionics, just today, can Des Bryant still play football wide receiver at a high level? Would he be an interesting choice for the Ravens or, say, the Eagles to make up for somebody they lost or something? I, I mean, thought you were, were going to ask me whether or not he was uh, ready to be a Redskin. Nah, I, that, I, I heard that's, that's not going to happen. Move. That's the that's the kind of a move the Redskins would make. But I've heard uh, I've heard none of the teams in the NFC East are interested in him. Right, yeah. and uh, you know what? You know, for the Ravens aspect of it, in turn, if you throw him in the slot, Stan, I think he can certainly uh, be a help to that offense. But again, a lot of that depends on what they do in the draft and who they go after yeah. uh, to supplement what they already have. So. Uh, whether he fits in Philadelphia, I really don't know, yeah. but, uh, I know, I know the receiver is not the big time playmaker he used to be, yeah. but he can certainly, he can certainly get open and, and, and make plays for a quarterback that much. I do believe. And like I said, might be the short to medium range passes, but I don't think he's the big time deep threat. He used to be. All right. Craig Heiss, many thanks. We'll see you in studio next week. Is that the plan? I'm hoping. Uh, that's the plan. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good day at Nats Park today. All right. Bye-bye. There you go. There's Craig Heist. All right. We're going to make our connections with uh, David Ginsburg, Stephen Ginsburg, Steve Ginsburg. Um, Steve, a longtime veteran of Reuters, uh, now a freelance writer. He's written a couple of uh, our better cover stories over the last nine ten months he wrote the piece on ken rosenthal last year and this year we had him do the spring training story on uh, trey mancini entitled the sage sophomore i've been meaning to reach out to him 
but uh, hadn't remembered to do it. Uh, that piece is uh, still available for folks on the newsstands until Monday morning uh, when the uh, new issue comes out with Ozzie Newsom on the cover. One Last Time is the title of that cover, written by Bo Smolka. But joining us now is someone I've got to know over the past year. He's the brother of a good friend, David Ginsburg. And I'd like to say Steve is also a friend. Steve, how are you? I'm doing great, Stan. How are you doing? Good. Thank you very much for joining us. I just want to get our audience uh, up to speed on who Steve Ginsburg is as a writer. You were with Reuters for, what, like 30 years? 30 years, yeah, and UPI before that. So I, I, I go back back a long way. Now, were you were not just a sports writer, correct? Correct. Uh, most, of that, uh, most of that time was, was in sports, but I was... I was in news for a good bit, uh, news editor uh, for UPI. Um, so I did, I did news, uh, did the White House for a while. So yeah, I've, uh, I've got a got a wide background, but most of it was in sports. All right, I know the highlight of your long illustrious career as a writer has been writing for PressBox. Totally, uh, totally. Yeah, uh, you wrote the piece last summer, which I think was terrific. And that's why I wanted to use you again, uh, the Ken Rosenthal piece. Before we talk about the Mancini piece, what do you remember about uh, working on that story with Ken? Because it's funny, uh, I don't think he shared with you the fact he was leaving Fox as a writer for their website, because shortly uh, after that hit the newsstands, Fox kind of said, hey, we're not doing any written words on the web. And, and that was very important to Ken Rosenthal because I know he can make enough money just being a TV guy. Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, he, he loves to write. I mean, there's no doubt about that. That's why he joined The Athletic, because, yep. you know, he's, uh, it's, it's a big part of what he does, and he enjoys every part of, of what he does in baseball, and writing was a big part of it. So yep. he was going to do it one way or another. So that was, it was a shock to me, because it came out shortly thereafter, but that's, uh, you know, that, that's Ken. I mean, he was, he was going to do it some way, and he went to the Athletic, which is uh, a great outlet for him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how they do, how their business model works out. I know that they got initially like a $9 million plus dollars in venture capital, and they've certainly hired some high-priced uh, spread talent there, and Peter Gammons, Jason Stark, Jim Bowden, just to name a few. And that's just the the big baseball writers. They're covering a local model. It's a fascinating model uh, to study, theathletic.com. It's a paid subscription. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of the writers that I know are, are, are really hoping for it. It's like it's like the online version of the National. I don't yep. know if you remember. Sure, I remember you know, Back that. in the day, yeah, I mean, they hired the, the best of the best, and the timing was terrible for them because – Newspapers started to to the circulation started to go down, so they they hired all of this great high priced talent, and just didn't it, it didn't work out. It it, it lived uh, uh, just a short time. So this is the online version, which uh, you know we'll see we'll see if high priced talent and the best of the best can make a go of it online. Yeah, I mean certainly they they have signed the the na- the nature of who they've signed. Every one of those guys probably has 400,000 followers or more uh, on their Twitter uh, feeds, and they're continually just feeding their public, their, their audience, uh, content. It's, it's an interesting model. 
Yeah, we're all, everyone's pulling for it because, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see whether, you know, you hire these great writers, can they make a go of it? Well, will the public appreciate and pay for the, the best writers and the most, the quickest information? It's, uh, you know, they, uh, it, there's no shortage of talent on the, on the athletic, no doubt about that. I'm not trying to give you an I gotcha moment. I'm a subscriber. I subscribed early on, then I canceled, and then I went back because I, I do want Rosenthal. I love Bowden. I love Jason Stark, and I love Gammons, too. Are you a subscriber? Actually, I'm not. Yeah. I am not. Okay. But you're rooting for it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Without All right, I question. got you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding around with you. Hey, we asked you to to write this cover story. Um, how special a kid is this, aside from his on-the-field talents, which are pretty obvious? How much – what impressed you about Trey Mancini, the person? I, I just I just loved his – his being humble was just so refreshing. You know, let's face it, I've been I've interviewed athletes for the better part of 40, 45 years, and he's one of the special ones that, you know, you just come up to, and he just, he's just humble. I mean, it, and it's not an act. It's not a humble brag. He's just, he is humble. I mean, he was he was saying, like, last year, every, every new stadium he went to, he was pinching himself. Like, right. you know, like, oh, my God, look at this Fenway Park. Oh, look, Yankee Stadium. This is unbelievable. And, and he was serious about it. He was just, it, it was just so refreshing to see an athlete, as good as he is, um, feeling like, you know, not that he doesn't belong, but that it's really special. I mean, because most of the athletes I, I've, I've interviewed over the years, like, or have the impression of, I belong here. And what took me so long? And why couldn't they see it? But this guy was just, we walk into the visitor's clubhouse at Camden Yards, and the first thing he goes is, oh, wow, I've, not, I've never been in this room. He's, you know, it's just, it's just wonderful. And it was not an act. Love the guy. He's just, yeah. he's, he's humble. Being humble is his trademark, and it's, it's absolutely 100% honest. I mean, it's, it's who he is. I mean, it's like if we were if we were casting him in a movie in the fifties or sixties, it seems like Jimmy Stewart would have played him. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. I mean, he's just this is no act. I mean, he just and this is you know this is a guy who was you know third in balloting for a rookie of the year last year. I mean, this is guy. This is this isn't a guy who just you know paid his dues and was lucky to get into the majors. I mean, this this guy really did well in his first year. So, I mean, you could say that he he truly belongs, and he doesn't he doesn't deserve to be humble because he's really good. But but he is. I mean, he's just he's a pleasure to talk to. Just just a, a, a truly wonderful guy. Now, I know I was responsible to hook you up with um, one of his early batting coaches, a good friend of mine, a veteran uh, player and coach Terry Crowley. Uh, you were really impressed with what Terry had to say about. Trey yeah, I mean, Terry was just, uh, you know, just you know, he could not speak more highly of uh, of Trey because you know he this guy is like the, the the hitting maestro for the Orioles organization, and he saw he saw something that you know uh, that that a guy who was the eighth round picked out of Notre Dame, you know, he just he saw right away that this this guy was going to be special. Trey Mancini, who did play his college baseball at Notre Dame, did you find anything out about him aside from how humble and and what a nice kid he is? Did you find anything out about him in doing this story that you really had that really caught you by surprise? 
Well, I, I guess, you know, for a guy who's, who's such a good baseball player, that, that it almost came as a surprise to him. I mean, he, here's a guy who's uh, not really widely known coming out of high school. He went, uh, went in Florida, Winter Haven, Florida. He goes to Notre Dame because he says, look, if I don't make it, you know, I, got, I, have, I, have, I need something to fall back on. So I'm, I'm a political science major. I'm going to really work at that because, you know, baseball is just such a fleeting thing. And, you know, I might, I might flame out anyway. So I really need to, to, to have a plan B, which, you know, is kind of refreshing because, you know, usually guys who make the majors are, oh, they, you they know, they think like, they're going to the be there forever and make a fortune. Right. Yeah. And, and and being the majors, being in the majors is a given. I mean, this guy Trey Mancini was like, "Well, if I don't make it, political science will work me good." And it's, yep. a, it's a great school at Notre Dame. He he said, "You know, the social life was great." I mean, and let's face it, Notre Dame is not exactly a baseball powerhouse. So no. he was thinking, like, "Well, if I don't make it, or if I don't make it for very long." I need a plan B, and, and Notre Dame fit him perfectly. So I thought that was interesting that, yeah. you know, most athletes that good are so focused that the majors, you know, something that, that's a foregone conclusion. It wasn't, it was not that way for Trey Mancini coming out of high school. Yeah, the word that comes through is when you hear what a nice kid he is, and then now you tell that story, it's that this kid is grounded in reality. His parents must, must have raised him right. And I know that's a yeah, cliche. I, I, I know that's a cliche, but no, no, no. That's absolutely true. I, mean, I spoke to his mother, uh, Beth, who who grew up in uh, Bowie, Maryland. So right. I mean, she was she was at the game where uh, on a second at bat as a major hits hits launches a homer into in, deep into left center. It was just just a magical moment, and she was just she was just so uh, on a, uh, so welled up with emotion because you know here she is on the jumbotron because they knew where she right, was sitting. Right. Her son just, you know, launches a home run and second at bat, and, you know, she just said it was 24 years of emotion, because let's face it, if you're a parent, you're going to live and die with every at bat. And she said it was 24 years of emotion coming out, like there were ups and there were downs, and, and here's this, this magical moment that, uh, that he hits a homer, and the crowd is just going crazy, and the, the jumbotron is, is going between her and him, rounding the bases, and... You know, even Trey said that that moment was a blur to him. He said he, he nearly blacked out running the bases mm. because it was it was just surreal. It was just so special. His his mother's in the stands. He got family and friends around her, and she's on the jumbotron. It was just just an amazing moment. But you you know, to get back to your point, absolutely, she raised him correctly. Um, good guy, respectful, and you know, it, it's uh, you know. Her parenting, uh, let's let's face it, plays a role in a lot of this. We're talking with Steve Ginsburg, a freelance writer who has written two cover stories for Press Box, the Ken Rosenthal piece last July, and this piece for April uh, with Press Box on Trey Mancini, the Sage sophomore. Um, let me uh, let me focus on something you couldn't have foreseen is because he's a guy that figures to be right in the middle of the Orioles' batting order, especially at a time when the offense isn't producing that much. But Buck Showalter ended up taking this young player and saying, you know what, he's got more so than anybody the right skill set to get on base and be my leadoff hitter. And right now he's got the second highest, well, third behind Chance Cisco and Machado. But he's got an on-base percentage of 369. I dare say the Orioles haven't had a leadoff hitter 
with those, those kind of numbers in a long, long time. Yeah, you know, normally you think of leadoff, you're thinking, you know, the Orioles over the years, you know, an Al Bumbry type, you know. Yeah, like Brian Roberts. Or, yeah, Brian yeah, Roberts. Exactly. Uh, but 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 Trey's the guy that can get on. I mean, he's he started off slowly this year, but you know, he's he's hitting three sixty over the last week. So I mean he's he's coming around, he's up to two seventy three, especially in these times where the uh the O's are offensively challenged. He's the type of guy that, you know, that that you want up there. The guy that consistently will get on base, and uh, he's you know he he's you know he that's the natural spot for him, especially on this club. Well, what's, you know, I don't think you want a Chris Davis up there. That no. you know is he's he's you know offensively um, hurting right now, and but he's a long ball hitter. I mean, you want a Mancini, a guy who gets on, who can hit for average as well as power. Perfect, uh, perfect leadoff hitter for the Orioles. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking at the the stat sheet for the Orioles, get a load of this: Trey Mancini with eleven strikeouts, nine walks, Machado twelve and nine. After that, listen to these starting players. Well, Craig Gentry starts once in a while: six strikeouts, no walks. Adam Jones, eighteen strikeouts, two walks. Scope. 19 and 1. Beckham <sighs> Beckham 20 and 3. Caleb Joseph 14 and 1 and Rasmus 13 and 1. You can't win with a lineup that strikes out at that level and doesn't get on base. Yeah, I mean that's that's, you know, let, let's let's hope this thing turns around. I mean, they're they're almost lucky to be 5 and 9 at this point. And, you know, six and a half games back, you know, it's it's early yet, but there's no way that those guys. I mean, that's that's a pretty good lineup. I mean, yeah. no one saw this uh this lack of offense coming. So, let's let's hope that, you know, they can turn this thing around because there's no way that the guys like Scope can can have a season like this. I mean, this is just they're all having bad stretches at the same time. Yeah. So it would be, I don't think this is something that, you know, this is sustainable, this, this lack of offense, because, it, you know, the pitching was the question. Now, now you're looking at the offense and going, oh, my God, because it's, you know, they're just, they're just not hitting at all. It would be, you say it was not projected this way, it would be like if I hired David or Steve Ginsburg to write a cover story and they came back with a, a bust, you know? Never happened. Never well, happened. Maybe with David never. happened, but never, <laughs> never me. All right. Hey, Steve, really appreciate I don't know why the month went by, and I didn't think to have you on earlier, but I really appreciate you did a strong job on the Sage sophomore. Oh, sure, sure. It's my, my, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Uh, give me a ring whenever you need another story. I'm, right. I love doing them. All right. Thank you, Steve Ginsburg. Okay, thanks, Dan. All Bye-bye. right. Next up on the show is going to be Bill Latson of MLB.com. He's got his new podcast uh, on Adam Jones. We'll talk to him in just a minute. But right now, got to talk to you about one thing the Orioles haven't had so far are big bats. But you can stop by big bats at 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland, on your way to the Eastern Shore. They're Ken Island's original sports bar. My friend Steve Garland is back with us for a third summer of sponsoring our baseball talk show, and we talk nicely about his business because we believe in it. It's a little piece of baseball heaven, whether you want a burger, a steak sub, a sandwich, a salad, or soups, all there for you, and terrific sports ambiance. It's also a great place to watch the O's, the Nats, the Wizards, and the Caps during the playoffs, but any day of the week, they're open, and they've got sports on the TVs there 
Great place. Again, Ken Island's original sports bar, Steve Garland's Big Bats Cafe. We thank them for their sponsorship, and we send you there knowing you'll love the food and you'll have a good time. When I think about things that have over-delivered in my life, I think about blueberry pie Oreos, I think about the first Kingsman movie, and now I think about hammer and nails in the Owings Mills Metro Center. My first trip to the ultimate man cave nirvana blew me away. When I got there, I went to the back room. Oh, this is where the magic happens. I got my first ever manicure and pedicure treatment. It was so relaxing. I understand why a lot of guys actually fall asleep back there. The seat was custom crafted for my comfort. I had a flat screen in front of me with noise-canceling headphones so I could watch whatever game I wanted to, and I was even sipping on a nice adult beverage. Then I went out and Tracy hooked me up with a really stylish haircut. She took care of me with the shampoo treatment, the hot steam towel. You can even get the close edge razor shave all at Hammer and Nails Owings Mills. Memberships are available. They make a great gift. On Mondays, you can rent out Hammer and Nails for your corporate event. Trust me when I tell you, this is an experience all guys must have. Hammer and Nails, grooming shop for guys, now open in the Owings Mills Metro Center. This week on Section 336, we recap our opening day experience. I'm focused on the game. I look over. Bert is leaned over on the guy with his hands up, rubbing under the guy's beard. What are you talking about? <laughs> what? You don't remember this? No. <laughs> Bert, Bert is... <laughs> I overdo it on opening day, I think. <laughs> Find Section 336 on iTunes and on PressBoxOnline.com and wherever you get your podcasts. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles Orioles' sage sophomore Trey Mancini after a breakout rookie campaign. We also preview all aspects of the 2018 Orioles and look ahead to the NFL draft. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast. No, 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 no. Don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Job and Out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's Jobbing Out, Glenn Clark, Aaron. Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins he Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com right, We are back on the bat around on this Saturday morning the 14th of April and joining us now is a, a friend of the show. I'm glad to say that because he's not just a friend of Craig Heist when I call him he also comes on the show and is happy to do so. Our friend MLB.com's resident columnist and podcaster, that's Bill Latson. Bill, how are you? Doing great. Uh, thanks for having me, Stan. Uh, what are your thoughts real quick on the uh, start the Yankees are off vis-a-vis the start that the uh, Boston Red Sox are off to? I'm not surprised by either. I mean, if you look at what's going on with the Yankees, they don't, they don't really have a bullpen. And uh, their big hitters, with the exception of Aaron Judge, um, are not hitting. So, um, you know, I think it's good that Aaron Hicks is back. But still, um, it's going to be tough to beat Boston. I mean, Boston lost this great start. 
and uh, they're doing all the things you need, need to do to win. Uh, Alex Cora is doing a great job. How, how do you figure Dylan Batances? He had that very emotional uh, arbitration fight last year with the Yankees. You remember their president said some unchoice words about him, and it seemed it would fire him up and motivate him to have been great last year, and maybe that whole thing backfired. He wasn't great last year for large stretches of the season. He's not off to a good start this year. No, um, yeah, I think that really got to him, I think. And, you know, like, uh, basically what was said that, you know, he couldn't be a good closer. Right. And I think, I think, we've, seen, I think we've seen that maybe that's true. When he was given the chance uh, two years ago, he slumped badly. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and now, um, you know, really since the second half of uh, 2016. 16, right. Yeah, it's it's you know he hasn't been the same. So uh, you know he got he's got to do something. I have to think it's mechanical because after that, you know, um, it's been tough to throw strikes for this guy. I mean, I've seen this guy play quite a bit, and you know he can't seem to get it together. He can't seem to be consistent. You know, I counted on him bouncing back this year, but I really thought the guy that was going to really end up being fantastic this year because he was last year under the radar was Chad Green is it that the expectations may be playing a factor there I think uh, in his case it's too early yeah I mean with Potenzas we've seen it for the last two and a half years mm-hmm. so um, I think I, w- I want to give Chad Green a chance before you know we, we start saying anything let me see what happens at the all-star break maybe uh, you know we'll find out the real Chad Green all right. Uh, concerned at all about Stanton uh, in New York? Is that a factor, or again, you think it's just a slow start, a regular slow start? I think I think it's a slow start. Obviously, uh, when he got to a, to a slow start in Miami, nobody cares. Right. But this right. is in New York now. And, you know, I just want to tell you this. Reggie Jackson got off to the same start mm-hmm. in 1977. Yeah, yeah. And he ended up being a hero in the end. And and so, I think, um, did, did David Winfield get off to a poor start there, too? No, he didn't. He didn't. He actually got off to a fast start. Okay. It was what he did in the World in Series. In the World Series, the yeah. And, and that's when the, the criticism started coming by the owner. So um, I, I think is a different story here with Stanton. Uh, let's give it a break, and let's see what happens. All right. We're talking to Bill Latson, who writes for MLB.com. And, Bill, uh, just in advance of Jackie Robinson Day, when when is that coming up? Uh, tomorrow, Sunday? Tomorrow? Tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, and, a, uh, go ahead. Yeah, and I, and I recently spoke to uh, Sharon Robinson. Uh, the story is up on the site. And it was great talking to her. And uh, I can't wait. Uh, for the day to come. How, how well does she remember her dad? How old was she when Jackie passed? Well, she was 24. Now, here's an interesting thing. She was seven when uh, when Jackie Robinson retired as right. a baseball player. Wow. Her memories are, are as him as a civil rights activist. Uh-huh. So, so, like, her memories regarding baseball, she gets it from other people who tell her, how great he was, and so uh, she really doesn't have a mem- any much memory of him um, playing baseball. Got a question for you about Jackie Robinson Day. I, I, mm-hmm. I thought when I heard the the idea of 
retiring his number permanently throughout baseball. And mm-hmm. each each Jackie Robinson day, everybody would wear 42. I thought Correct. the idea of retiring the number permanently was really a great idea by Bud Selig or whoever came up with the idea in his office. But a couple of years ago, I was talking to Charles Steinberg. You know Charlie, don't you? Well, I, I, I heard of him. I know he used to be with the uh, Orioles. Right. Well, Charles and I were talking. He was an as- a special assistant to Larry Lucchino for a long time. Then went to, he was loaned to Commissioner Selig uh, and worked for the commissioner for some time. He and I got talking about this. How would you feel, which way do you think would be a more special way to, to salute Jackie Robinson and honor him? Retire the number permanently or each year allow one player per league to be awarded that number and wear it the entire season. Wow, uh, I think they're know, both. I, have, I think they're both very powerful. You know. Yeah, I, I I think I would prefer have the one day where everyone wears okay. the uniform. Now I know when it first happened. Yep. Uh, Mariano Rivera was still allowed to wear it until sure. he retired. Yep. So, which was good, but I, I like uh, the fact that. Uh, Everyone wears it for um, mm-hmm. you know for a day, yep. and then and then you know no one else no one else wears it the yep. rest of the way. My, so my I, 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 I like that way. Okay, I understand that. My idea is certainly different, but it's meant no disrespect. It's meant as a different way to honor him, where where kids and fathers would sit there and they'd go, "Why is that guy wearing a red forty two, and nobody else is wearing that?" It just seems it's a different way to skin the same cat in a way. You know. Yeah, I got you. But right. I, I, I like the, what they're doing now, All and, right. uh, and that's about it. All right. Now, you also, in honor of Jackie Robinson Day, which is coming up, you, you took the time to go to Yankee Stadium last week, which I know uh, is not, uh, not a bad assignment for you, any chance you get to go to Yankee Stadium. But you sat down, had a sit-down with Adam Jones. That's correct. Uh, it was one of the best talks I ever had with a sports athlete yep. and uh you know um basically we talked about you know his time with the Orioles I mean you know what I get the impression now he did not say this but the way he was talking I get the impression that he really loves playing for the Orioles yeah I do just, too he, he just wants to win yep and uh you know I mean it, it'd be interesting to see what the Orioles do the rest of the way now it's early you know but they need some pitching so, um, you know, hopefully with Alex Cobb there, things will get better. We'll see. He's making his first start of the season today at uh, Fenway Park at 105, and he will face Hector Velasquez. Uh, I don't want to get off the Adam Jones thing, but last night, Chris Tillman, just absolutely awful. I mean, I'm not saying anything uh, nobody knows. Since June tw- July 21st, 2016, that was the day, Bill, the day he raised his record to 14-2, and two, lowered his earned run average to 3.18 by beating the Yankees. Since then, he's gone 3-13, 147 innings pitched, 191 hits, 117 earned run, earn runs allowed, 30 home runs. Uh, since that date in 2016, 7.16 ERA, and a whip of 1.82. Wow. 
Wow. Uh, I'll tell you, you know what, though? It seemed like, uh, you know, Buck Showalter had this confidence in him yeah. in, in hopes that the magic of 2016 would come, the first yeah. half of 2016 would come. Yeah. And, and I, I totally understand that. I would probably do the same thing. But, uh, it's, you know, you, you almost got to give up in a sense if you want to compete in the race. Yeah, no question about it. The, I mean, the good news for them is they – they finished in last place last year, but they competed for a while last year, and they yes, never they had three or four starters pitching well at the same time. If Cobb, if Cobb gets out of the gate, that'll be four decent starters in their rotation, and one of them, Bundy, pitching at an extremely high level. Right, and, you know, you have Andrew Kastner, too, yep. which I thought, which, you know, Adam Jones thought was a great deal. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, again, it's still early. Let's hope that things will improve. Before we let you go, I wanted to just get back to this Adam Jones thing. Um, I think there are two people that really needed the Alex Cobb signing. Well, two people in addition to Alex Cobb himself were Buck Showalter and Adam Jones. I think those were two people that really needed to be convinced that Oriole management under uh, some new eyeballs now with John Angelos kind of running the baseball show, that they were going to be committed to trying to put a winner on the field. And I think Alex Cobb's uh, acquisition may have, you know, won Adam Jones's heart back over a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I mean, Adam Jones realizes that, you know, going into spring training, pitching-wise, this team did not look good. Yeah. But uh, after getting Cobb and uh, Cashman, I, I think that convinced him, hey, we can, we can possibly compete. That's all he now, wants to do. Now, they're off to a slow start, but uh, let's see what happens. I mean, they, got, they have to stop striking out, too, I mean, as the hitters. So, um, you know, uh, Davis, uh, Chris Davis has to improve as well. There's a lot of improvement that's need to be made all around, not just pitching. Before we so, let we'll see what be, before we let you go, did uh, the topic of what happened at Fenway Park last year come up with uh, Adam? The, the, yes, it did. The um, racist taunts, but but he was but he was more um, so uh, you know uh, you know he I thought I thought he was more calm mm-hmm. more than anything else. Now um, you know he talked about yes I was angry, but you know let's have a talk let's have a conversation you know. There's no need to be drunk and say nasty things. Yeah. So, um, but I thought he was more critical of New York than he was with Boston. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's all around. And, uh, you know, I thought he took it well. I thought he was calm throughout the whole thing. You know, it's funny. And then, then I'll let you go because we had another guest on the left coast. And by the way, I need to, can I call you this afternoon? Are you yes, going to be yeah. home? You're going to be home? Yes. I got an yes, interest. I got an interesting story idea to tell you about. Uh, but you before it. we, but before we let you go, I, I, I get the sense. I talked to a lot of people that that now look at his production and they say, Ah, the Orioles they can't sign Adam. They, they don't need him. Uh, they got to move on from him. I see it vastly different. I think he's such a special leader in that clubhouse and in this community. I think the Orioles would be lesser the the organization without Adam Jones. Your thoughts? Well, I, I totally agree with you. I think he is, uh, he still has a lot of game left. He's still playing center field. I mean, most people that age are not playing center field. They play in the corners. Right. 
So, I mean, uh, again, I think, yes, he needs to get the batting average up now and start being more productive. But it's early, and I expect him um, to be there the entire season. Now, keep this in mind. He's a 10-5 guy. Yeah. So he's not going to be traded. I don't see that happening yep. at all. I don't see it happening either. I really no. don't. All right, Bill Latson, many thanks. Listen, Craig Heist says he's back in next week and for several weeks in a row, so I guess I won't talk to you for a while. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you got it. I'll talk. We'll, we'll reach out to you in a couple weeks. Always enjoy having you on the show. Go to MLB.com, Newsmakers, and uh, Bill's podcasts are there. They're really worth a listen and a read. Thank you, Bill. Take care. All right. There you go. The great Bill Latson from MLB.com. Next up on the show is going to be our friend uh, Andy Dolich, who we're going to reach out to in just a moment. And the reason we have Andy on every so often is, number one, it's nice to get somebody um, who gets up early in the morning on the left coast. And Andy lives in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he's a longtime um, management uh, type. He's been an executive in all four of the major sports, uh, MLB, the NHL, the NFL, and the NBA, there aren't a lot of people that can say that. He's one of the smartest guys I know when it comes to sports business. That is Andy Dolich. He's going to join us to talk about the latest uh, iteration of an Oakland A's new stadium. And it's funny, we've had Andy on for past couple of years, it's always one of the topics we hook around talking to Andy Dolich is the Oakland A's stadium situation. It's one of the worst in baseball, along with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, but uh, Andy has steadfastly maintained that the best place for a new Oakland A's stadium would be right where the current Oakland A's, uh, Alameda Col- originally Alameda Coliseum is located there in the um, Oakland area, and joining us right now is Andy Dolich. Andy, how have you been? I have been terrific, Stan. Uh, Always appreciate speaking to uh, my friends in Baltimore and the environs. I do have a question for you, though, which has been really confusing me. Okay. You know, Ty Cobb was an ornery player, right? Yes, he was. Um, Didn't make a lot of friends. But in his position as Trump's lawyer, I, how did he get that job? <laughs> I, I love I'm, it. I just don't uh, get it. I love it, yeah. I, I, you know, the funny thing is you never see when he was a player, Ty Cobb, you never see him with that mustache. No, and yeah. he was not. He was never referred to as a clubhouse lawyer, right? I mean, he just did what he had to do. So I've... Maybe somebody, maybe 60 Minutes will get to the heart of it. Well, maybe, you know, maybe it's Trump's anti-Semitism, you know, because Ty Cobb was uh, okay, a known... that's a great way. He was a known anti-Semite, wasn't he, yeah. Ty Cobb? Yeah. Yes, yeah. And you know what? Um, there's a place called Atherton, California, and right. there's a tiny college called Menlo College, which I happen to be teaching at. And Ty Cobb... I think lived many years in Atherton, California, right. before uh, before technology came our way. Interesting, interesting. 
Andy, I always love having you on. One of the, the reasons we, we hook you in is to talk about stadium situations and this Oakland Alameda Coliseum that the A's moved to in, what, 1968 was that their first year in the building? That is correct. And uh, for a project that I'm working on, I happened to uh, to look at attendance figures because the A's are off to a terrible start. Uh, their start on the field is so-so. Their start in the stands is terrible. Yeah. Um, and the A's have drawn about 71 million people uh, since they moved to Oakland. Okay. And I'm most proud of the years that we had with the Bash Brothers and Billy Ball, and I don't mean Billy Bean, yep. uh, from 1981 till the mid-90s and the World Series and some pretty incredible baseball players with hypodermic needles or not. Um, <laughs> and we drew some terrific, I mean, 2-5, 2-6, 2-7. And uh, the A's... In 1979, Stan drew 306,000 people. Wow. And I think that's probably the lowest season attendance in Major League Baseball. You're talking about 50 years. I mean, Jackie Robinson and all. That's got to be who was the A's one of the lowest. Who was the A's owner then? Was it still that Charlie, was Charlie Finley? Charlie Finley, yeah. but that was post the great teams, the three consecutive yeah. World Series teams of Reggie in 72 to 74. Right. But that's when Charlie made a decision that he couldn't compete. I think CBS had bought the Yankees mm -hmm. at that time. And Charlie said, I can't compete with these giant corporations. And remember, I mean, for those baseball historians, you know, he tried to trade everybody, right? He tried to trade um, Rudy, Bando, right. Reggie, Vida, Vida, all those right. guys yep. didn't give them away. So in 75, Charlie started dismantling, clearly a club that would have won several more World Series. Yeah. But he, he basically gave that team away to the rest of baseball, and they became, at best, the AAA team in the late 70s. Yeah, he actually lost Jim Catfish Hunter to free agency, correct? Right. Okay. Yep. 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 And Reggie was traded right before the 76 season to the Orioles, or was it 75? Yeah, I mean, it's always it always ends up in Baltimore, yep. right? But yep. I got to know Reggie when he coached with us, at, uh, when he came back and coached with us at the A's. Uh, you know, gigantic personality above oh, and beyond his baseball capabilities. But when you think about that team that won three consecutive World Series, um, and if that team had stayed together, they definitely would have won several more and been, you know, viewed as one of the greatest teams in baseball history. Hey, I apologize uh, because I forgot the name of your friend who passed away, but you wrote me something. I invited you to be on the show last oh, yeah. week. Uh, and I forget the name of the gentleman who passed away. He's the guy who started Diamond Vision. He's the, fa he's the father, father of, of Diamond Vision. The father of video boards in this country. So last Saturday. What was his name? I was, his name was Mikio, M-I-K-I-O, Mikio Matsubayashi. Okay. I won't spell his last name, but okay. Matsubayashi. Mikio worked for the giant electronics firm, uh, uh, Mitsubishi okay. in Japan, and they, like Sony and Panasonic, they were starting to look at large-scale 
video and televisions, and Mikio happened to be their guy in North America. Uh, uh, and so I was down there speaking at his uh, memorial service. He passed away several months ago. And he was the guy that did the first deal in the United States with the Dodgers for the 1980 season. Wow. They convinced Unical, Union 76 Oil, to pay for the board. Um, you have any idea the what the board cost back then? Well, I can tell you that the price that the Dodgers paid for the board right. was $1. <laughs> one dollar oh, because, he, because they, it was important to get it done and get it exact, out there yeah. exactly several years later we did a board in oakland we were one of the first teams but the dodgers were the first team and they did it because it was la uh -huh. great ball club the market hollywood um you know today the boards are 10 20 30 million dollars wow. a piece but wow. you go to any ballpark um, if you can believe it or not, Stan, there's about 30,000 boards at sports venues. That, that figure, when you wrote that to me last week, that figure blew me away that there's 30,000 video boards yeah. of that caliber. And now it's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's inside oh, the stadium, it's outside the stadium, it's on interstate, yep. it's in the clubs, it's in the locker rooms at various sizes. But literally, Mikio who is an incredible personality and Fred Clare, the longtime executive sure. of the Dodgers and I had remained friends even after Kirk Gibson's home run against <laughs> us, um, in 88. Um, and so we are working, uh, there's a publication called venues. Now it's sort of the largest national publication which follows the news of sports and entertainment venues mm -hmm. and they're working on an extended piece and i'll send you when it's done on all right what what mikio meant you know literally hundreds of millions of people have had fun and benefited from what mikio did uh way back in 1980 well the reason i asked you that though is to get that figure out there that there are 300,000 of these boards out there 30,000 30, 30, i'm sorry 30,000 30,000 yeah. 30, um i would be more staggered if it was 300,000 <laughs> um, well it will be it will be sooner or later the yeah. way everything's going hey um we we joke around when you, when we have you on the show and um but i have you on because how smart you are at seeing foreseeing the events of tomorrow today and one of those events you foresaw two years ago when we first really started hammering in on this idea of where will the oakland a's play baseball if they remain in the bay area you right. steadfastly maintain that the best place is right where they are now in a new facility we went through that whole iteration about six or eight months ago with uh, Peralta College, and then the president right. of the college said, "What are you talking about? We're not having a stadium here." Um, <laughs> yeah, the A's, the A's president Dave Cobble, um, came out eight or nine months ago and said, "Well, we finally found our location. It's close to Oakland. It's the site of the administrative offices of this college called Peralta." And we're going to open up in 2023. The only problem is that Dave nor the A's owned the property, right. had a lease on the property, right. or negotiated the price with the owners of the property who went, 
excuse me. Right. Uh, no, we're not interested. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was pretty amazing how quickly that went. Now, at the time it went, you said, well, it's the first hand of Peralta poker, but right. that thing is dead, isn't it now? In in the game that the A's are playing, and right. it is a game, and the name that really is the one that's important is is the team's uh, owner, John Fisher, the heir to the Gap Jeans Fortune, Gap Stores, and I, I find this still amazing. Stan, uh, he's owned the team for twelve years and has never, ever given a public interview in any way, shape, or form. You and I, Stan, could fly to North Korea and sit down with Kim (laughs) Jong-un. Especially if we had Dennis Rodman with us. Well, we would. I mean, he's he's their um, head of global negotiations, so that wouldn't be a problem. I mean, I'm being facetious, but literally, this man who owns a team that he bought for $180 million, which has a Forbes value now of a billion, um, has never spoken one word about what his plans are. Pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. But now it looks like after all this, and you're, you're maintaining it's a game, you're saying that there could be where the A's president uh, is, is maintaining that, hey, we've come around to seeing the the right thing to do is do it right here. Do you Correct. think they at the Coliseum? At the Coliseum, do you think they now expect Peralta to say, "Hey, hold on a second. We were just we were just kidding. We really do want this well, stadium here." No, and and you know, you just look at history of baseball and you and I have been lucky enough to have some institutional knowledge and of course Camden Yards rightly so was held as the beacon of the first of the new genre of ballparks and out here in the Bay area, we have a spectacular park in AT&T, which is viewed in the top five, uh, brand new football stadium, relatively brand new football stadium for the 49ers Levi's. You've got a new arena built in Sacramento, the golden one center for the Kings and the golden state warriors are moving into a brand new multi-billion dollar arena in San Francisco Mm -hmm. in 2019. The A's have been at this for 12 years. So you mean to tell me that all of these other entities are smarter than you guys? Mm -hmm. That's why I call it a game. And where things are at now is that uh, when the A's, through Dave Cobble, their team president, said, okay, We've we've done all of our metrical analytical research, which a uh, seagull could have done over 12 years, <laughs> uh, and we're going to play at the Coliseum. So he meets with the mayor several weeks ago, Mayor Libby Schaff, and she goes, this is great, except <laughs> I'd like you to include Howard Terminal, right. which is near Jack Lennon Square, near the water, and, and look at that, and I'm going to give you a an extra year to do the research on which of these two locations you choose to build at. Okay. The, the A's then said, Hey, we have a good idea. You have a debt, you Oakland and Alameda County, the owners of the 130 acres of land that the Coliseum and Oracle arena sit on, uh, will retire the debt which is about $135 million. Mm-hmm. And you, the city and the county, will give us the land for free. 
and that's why I say a game. And right. If I'm the city or the county, I go, oh, nice ante. Right. But there's no way you're getting this for 135 million bucks. Are you crazy? Yeah. So that's where it stands now in that the A's have an exclusive negotiating period through the end of this calendar year, not the baseball season, right? in which to make a determination of which of the two sites, the Coliseum, which clearly has been, is, and always will be the, best. the most viable location, right. or Howard Terminal, which is the mayor's um, the mayor's location that, that she wants as a priority. And I'm not sure anybody saw this on the East Coast, but early this week... This is uh, the story about the trams? <laughs> the gondola. The gondolas. The gondola. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, baseball and gondolas, they've always gone together, right? I think they've always I, talked. W- yeah. Would it be possible the A's would change their name to the gondolas? Uh, gondoliers. The gondoliers. Yeah. Prop- yes, Dan, <laughs> I think that would be proper. Anyway, um, they, I can't stop smiling and laughing about uh, that it. That story so was. The problem un- with Howard Terminal right. is that it is. It's, if you think of like the port of Baltimore and how busy it is and all the container ships right. and those giant cranes. Well, Oakland is one of the six or seven largest ports on the West Coast, an active port. They have two major rail lines that fans would have to cross going from the center of the city. Jeez, okay. They have a steel recycler, a metal recycler that's been there for 90 years. And so the toxic underneath their place probably go all the way down to China. Right. That would take uh, a lot of money and a lot of time. Um, And there's a major power station that has to be relocated if you were going to build there. So the A's, through Dave Koppel, have said, hey, we have an idea. Let's build a ski tram, a gondola. Right. Above, oh, and you also have 880, a major, major um, highway. Super, right. <laughs> super highway that's constantly gridlocked every day, 24 hours a day. We're going to build a gondola so that people can come from the center of Oakland to the park and then back again. And there's and, nothing I'd like to be on more than a gondola when the earthquake comes. Well, I am I am at now writing a piece. I get to write whatever's on my mind for right. some local publications here. But right. uh, I'm writing a piece. I think I'm entitling it. Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. <laughs> it's a gondola. <laughs> so, so you think about it. You just mentioned the earthquake, yeah. right? It's the next inning game. Five guys are completely blottoed, right? Right after the game. They're getting into a gondola. <laughs> That's going to end poorly, or <laughs> You're driving over 880 with thousands of cars, right? And one of the guys goes, "Hey, I brought a I brought a beer bottle with me. Look at that convertible down there." Uh, it's just it is the most comical, ridiculous, um, ongoing uh, soap opera where the A's keep saying they don't have the money. To hold on there to their players, right? Right. You know, can you can you say Josh Donaldson right. MVP um, and and many others that they've traded away and and in this start of this season? Uh, sorry for the rant, but um, there's there's not a number of people in the Bay Area that have the institutional 
knowledge of what the A's have been, whether mm-hmm. it was Finley, whether it was the Haases. Right. And I was just thinking that you, you have a guy like Chris Davis, and most people go, hmm. Right. Be, be careful. Be Davis. careful. People in Baltimore may think you're talking about our Chris exactly. Davis. Yes. Like which Chris Davis yeah. are you talking yeah. about? So if I were to tell you that you had a player on your team that hit 85 home runs in the last two years and had driven in 212 runs and you hardly ever hear about him, wouldn't you scratch your head? Yeah. And go, wait a second, that can't be right. Um, Or maybe he's hit, you know, more home runs than Giancarlo Stanton in the last two years. No, that can't be right. Yeah. Well, you're the expert, but I think that's right. And his name is is. Chris with a K, Davis, and you see nothing about him. I helped publicize the Bash Brothers which helped make me yeah, and a lot of other people happy. Yeah. How do you not take a player like that and market and the market the heck, the yeah. heck up? Yeah. All they talk about is we're rooted in Oakland. We're rooted in Oakland. And people now are going, well, maybe you're going to be uprooted from Oakland. We're talking so with Andy. It, we're talking with Andy Dolich, a sports business uh, consultant now, a longtime executive in all four major sports. Andy, we're bumping up against uh, getting yep. out of here, but I got to ask you one question. It, it, we, you and I have talked about this. The old days where teams wanted you just wanted a stadium built for them, or they would chip in. Those days are long gone. Now, what people want is not only the stadium. They want the development rights of a, a right. whole neighborhood where retail, they can retail exactly live it. Yeah, so absolutely. so given that reality, that hundred and seventy-five million dollars or one thirty-five right. that you say that Oakland is saying, yeah, nice shot uh, at anting that up, but there's no way you're getting that. What is the real value to a sports franchise that would then own a new stadium? Uh-huh. And and have all the ancillary revenue streams. The simplest example is, as we end is look at what happened to the inner harbor of Baltimore yeah. and how much it's worth now. If, mm-hmm. if you've ever been to AT&T Park uh, and you look at what's happened in the acreage around it, if you've been in Denver, Denver, right, Coors Field, uh, yeah. And, and if you've seen what the New England Patriots have done, and on and on and on, my point and what drives me crazy and many others is it's right there in Oakland, 130 acres, yep. literally in the extension of the Silicon Valley, which short of thermonuclear war, we're still going to be, <laughs> you know, proudly making money in this country. Right. And... And the A's, who have an owner who's worth several billion dollars, right. keep taking this poor us. We can't get it yep. done without a new stadium. Yep. So the game continues. The good news is we'll be able to keep talking about it. And uh, I just want to salute Jackie Robinson. I was born in 1947. Um, how he changed the face, literally, of baseball and the type of person that he was after baseball we should never forget that thank you andy dolich always appreciate reaching out to you and that you're receptive to coming on and i especially appreciate the gift 
Okay, you got it. Bye, Sam. All right. Andy Dulwich. There he goes. One of the smartest men in sports I've ever met. That is some amazing story out there in Oakland, how the A's owned by a guy worth several billion dollars, and they're going to try and make it seem like that's a real uh, real great opportunity for the city of Oakland that they'll retire $135 million debt for a size – uh, 130 acre, um, you know, parcel of land that they could develop. All right. Uh, big bats. Uh, my final time of the day to thank Steve Garland for coming on for his third straight year. Starting next week, we'll have our monthly visits with Steve where he gives us the uh, Bay Bridge traffic on the way down to the Eastern Shore. We'll start to do that next Saturday. It's Ken Island's original sports bar, Big Bats Cafe. Whether you're in the mood for a great sandwich, sub, salad, or a burger, delicious burger, it's a little piece of baseball heaven. It's called Big Bats Cafe, located 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. You can also go out on their deck and watch games out there in the outside bar. Just a fabulous place. Ken Island's original sports bar, one of my favorite places. Steve Garland's Big Bats Cafe. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles Orioles sage sophomore Trey Mancini after a breakout rookie campaign. We also preview all aspects of the 2018 Orioles and look ahead to the NFL draft. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Spring into savings on a new car at Jerry's Toyota, Jerry's Chevrolet, and Jerry's Mitsubishi. Save a lot of money at Jerry's with free financing on over 800 new cars and trucks in stock. Jerry's has incredible springtime deals, like monthly payments as low as $129 a month on new Toyota RAV4s, Camrys, and Chevy Malibus and Cruises. Looking for a new SUV with third-row seating? Well, Jerry's has a great selection of models, including Toyota Highlanders, Chevy Traverses, and the Mitsubishi Outlander. If that's too much and you are shopping for a new crossover, Jerry's has great deals on new Toyota CHRs, Chevy Trax, and the all-new Mitsubishi Eclipse. Plus, right now at Jerry's, get huge savings on over 200 pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Do it. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road or Jerry's Chevrolet and Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing and lease payments with approved credit through dealer-designated lenders. Sale ends 4 30 
Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. I'm Jill Powell. Each day I'll bring you the latest from the floor of the Maryland General Assembly. I'll speak with the newsmakers and feature the sound that is shaping the future of Maryland. Be sure to catch the Maryland Capital Report at any time at marylandnewsnetwork.net. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at facebook.com slash pressboxsports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. We are back to close out the battle round. Many thanks to our friend Brittany Everett, and many thanks to today's guests, Jim Henneman, Craig Heist, Steve Ginsburg, Bill Latson, and, of course, if you've been listening, Andy Dolich. Um, amazing story out there in the uh, Oakland, Alameda area of the Bay Area in San Francisco, Oakland. Uh, reminder, tomorrow, Ken Zalis and Sarita Hubbard here with the Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Kyle Ottenheimer will be in on that as well. And then Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer every day from 10 to 12. We'll be back next Saturday. Tomorrow, Inside Press Box, we've got a very interesting show tomorrow on WMAR Channel 2 in Baltimore. It's um, John Eisenberg from BaltimoreRavens.com. And then Dr. Jody Fry of the Baltimore School, University of Maryland School of Social Work. Uh, talking about a study she's working on about depression in men 45 to 64 in the state of Michigan. It's very interesting. You'll want to tune in. And also joining us via Skype in that interview is none other than former Detroit Lions quarterback. He played in the NFL from 1980 to 89. He talks uh, candidly about his battles with depression. That's Eric Hippel. That's tomorrow. Inside Press Box, 1030. I'll see you next week, and uh, MLB Power Rankings will be released tomorrow. I'll also be doing my after-bird-watching shows today and tomorrow after the O's and the Red Sox. Today, Alex Cobb, Hector Velasquez, 105. Tomorrow, Dylan Bundy, Chris Sale. Monday morning at 11 o'clock, Andrew Kashner will be pitching for the Baltimore Orioles against Brian Johnson. That's it for this week. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your weekend.